because they're taking time out of their lives to spend time with you in your lives. And if you know them at all, and you guys know them, you know they're not boring. <laughs> Which is good, you know? Time is a precious gift. Let's not waste it, this way I look at it. Uh, we, uh, last week I'd mentioned that I'm beginning a series which we will continue pretty much up until I leave for the Israel Aliyah in June on the Messianic Jewish life. Part of the reason for this series, quite honestly, is to go over some key points of theology and uh, teaching from the text. Part of it is to clarify uh, our own values as a community. Um, on the... Uh, Announcement sheet, it says we're a Jewish community that believes and teaches that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Jewish Messiah. That's unique. I don't know too many other congregations that have such a clear-cut purpose statement. But on top of that, we don't have it posted everywhere. It is in the synagogue brochure. But over here on the, uh, at this section of the, uh, of the hall wall, there's a whole listing of our values as a synagogue. You know, values are important. Values uh, will dictate and impact your life. Um, uh, I had the privilege this week of going to New York to the Borough Park Symposium, which is always an interesting event to go hear uh, other people pontificate about different parts of the biblical text. It's fascinating to hear people who do not believe in Yeshua, Jewish people who do not believe in Yeshua, who, who study the New Testament text and know about the life of Yeshua, but do not believe in him. Do not accept him. They value the intellectual exercise of studying scripture, but they don't have a personal faith in Yeshua. It's hard to imagine. But uh, being, you know, growing up in California it was shock to me, but I kind of knew it already to discover that almost all the Christians I knew actually weren't believers in Jesus either, you know. Values are important because values really direct us and they lead us. Uh, while I was there, I spent time with Jason Moraff. Many of you know Jason Moraff. So Jason, who's also a bit of a bookworm and intellectual, you know, he's a smart guy. In the midst of all that was going on, he, along with uh, David Katz, another guy, uh, and Matthew, who's not here, uh, they went off to see a basketball game. <laughs> Why? Because they value the sports and they had the opportunity, and the Washington Wizards were playing the New York Knicks. Not that I care at all, but they cared a lot, you know. Values. This morning, what I really want to spend time on is, is simply a theological point, and that is, what does it mean to accept by faith the righteousness of God? What does it mean to accept the righteousness of God? We're going to look at a couple of texts uh, and uh, I, I want to keep this very simple, hopefully something thought-provoking. But I'm going to begin by reading a, reading a couple of paragraphs. What is it that makes people succeed despite their personal circumstances? Uh, an article written several years ago by Melinda Beck in the Wall Street Journal listed impressively successful people who struggle, struggled significantly early in life and that never gave up. Julie Andrews was rejected by MGM Studios as an actress for not being photogenic enough. The Beatles were rejected by Decca Records because they didn't like their sound. Walt Disney was fired by a newspaper editor for lacking imagination. 
And Michael Jordan was cut from his high school varsity basketball team for not being a good enough player. Despite rejection and setback, these individuals kept pursuing their goal and found success. The article calls this self-efficacy, the unshakable belief that some people have that they have what it takes to succeed. You know, that's actually a beautiful thing. That's, that's actually a good thing. To overcome circumstances, to overcome rejection, because you have a passion for something that maybe others don't quite see. That can be a sign of a successful person, really. So there's nothing wrong with self-efficacy. Unfortunately, though, almost universally, people apply the same approach to their spiritual lives. This is where there's a problem. They believe that a successful spiritual life comes through self-effort, which is self-efficacy, and that the result of their personal efforts will lead ultimately to the goal of personal spiritual rightness. Personal spiritual rightness, better known as self-righteousness. This is, of course, absolutely contrary to what the scriptures actually teach. And uh, we're going to quickly look at Isaiah 64, just a classic old text. Isaiah 64. Go ahead and turn with me if you got your copy of the scriptures, and you all should. Isaiah 64. I'm just going to read two verses, verses 5 and 6. So this is page 443. Page 443. Isaiah 64. Verses 5 and 6. And what these verses share is the problem with uh, self-efficacy when it comes to our spiritual lives, our, our potential relationship with God. It says in Isaiah 64, verse 5, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness is like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and all our iniquities carry us away like the wind. No one calls on your name or stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. What this verse basically is saying is that there is nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to make ourselves righteous before God. That is an overarching teaching from the biblical text. You cannot escape that unless you refuse to accept it. The biblical text makes very clear that all the good we can do is insufficient to make us righteous before God. Living successful lives certainly demands a willingness to work hard, stay focused, and be tenacious. But truly living a spiritually successful life demands more than anything else, faith in God and submission to his righteousness. Maintaining a positive faith in ourselves is simply not enough to get us to where we really need to go in life. Man is incapable of doing good, of becoming righteous on his own. God had to come down to literally tear open the heavens, as Isaiah 63, 19 states, in the person of Messiah Yeshua to pay the penalty of our sin through his death and to provide for those who personally choose to accept Yeshua as their Messiah and Lord, God's righteousness. We have to understand that God had to provide what, for us what is his, his righteousness. God's righteousness is available only to the person who is willing to seek God by faith. So the righteousness we would seek to manufacture is no righteousness at all to God. Doesn't mean people can't do good. People can do good. 
People do good around the world, but to recognize that that goodness is not righteousness to God. It is not equatable to righteousness before God and therefore is insufficient always to bring one into a right relationship with God. God's righteousness is available only to the the person who is willing to seek God by faith. Now last week we talked about this in terms of Habakkuk chapter 2. I want to speak from Romans chapter 1. So turn with me to Romans 1. This is page 1072. Page 1072. We're going to look at Romans 1 verses uh, 16 and 17. Just... uh, Take a look at this little phrase, righteousness of God. Try and unpack it. You have these notes in, uh, on the back of the announcement sheet if you want to fill them in. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 simply says, For I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who trusts, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from trust, from, from trust to trust, as it is written, but the righteous shall live by emunah, shall live by faith. Now, the, the first part of that section, verse 16, talks about something that actually was part of this Borough Park Symposium discussion, at least one small component of it, the fact that God has a, a plan for us as Jewish people. You know, So I'll make a plug for that as we talk about the Messianic Jewish life. We have to truly, at a deep level, recognize that we play a key role in God's effort to bring this world back to himself. All right? That we will explore going forward in other messages and points of clarification. But let's never forget that. It is not a matter of us being better than anyone else. It has to do with the fact that God, through Messiah Yeshua, is calling Israel to revival, and that we are the beginning of the revival, not just for us, but ultimately the sweep across the world. And uh, someone has pointed out, uh, sometimes the Christians forget that all their faith is wrapped up in a Jewish hope. (laughs) All Christian faith is wrapped up in a Jewish hope. And I think little by little, some people are beginning to figure that out. But not enough of our people, unfortunately. The second part, it says in verse 17, in it, so in this salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? This is a phrase. It is a specific phrase. It's used several times. You see it several times in chapter 3. Chapter 3 of Romans, verses 5, 21, 22. Also shows up in chapter 10, verse 3. Shows up also one other place, James chapter 1, verse 20. This is a specific phrase. The righteousness of God. Three possible views. The righteousness of God is an attribute of God. God is righteous, right? He is righteous. So maybe it's an attribute of God. Okay, we accept that righteousness is an attribute of God. But is that really what the author is talking about? The righteousness of God is a status given by God. It's the second view. The righteousness of God is a status given by God. And we see that throughout the biblical text where God makes people righteous Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet has this amazing vision, and he says, woe is me, I'm a a man of unclean lips to the people of unclean lips. In other words, I'm sinful, and my people are sinful, and God takes a coal, the angel takes a coal, puts it on his lips and declares him clean. Righteous. 
So status given by God. God declares people righteous. The third, the righteousness of God is an activity of God. The righteousness of God is an activity of God. The righteousness of God, it's, 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 it's flowing. It's impacting. It's transforming. Three possible views. I'm going to give what I call a good working definition. A good working definition of the righteousness of God. The act by which God brings people into right relationship with himself and the status by which he then views them. So the act by which God brings people into right relationship with himself and the status by which he then views them. So if we are incapable of making ourselves righteous, if our actions are incapable of elevating us to a position of righteousness, then we have to rely upon God to provide for us righteousness, to declare us righteous, to make us righteous. And so therefore, the the idea that an act of God is required makes sense. God's in the business of doing things, isn't he? It says in the scriptures, God spoke and the world came into being. He likes to do big things. So God, by his action, brings people into right relationship with himself. And the status by which he then views them is they are righteous. Ah, that's, that's big. The question is, of course, how does this all happen? And that's what we see there in this text, in that the righteousness of God is revealed from trust to trust, as it is written, the righteous shall live by emunah, And so what is the mechanism? The mechanism is not our self-efficacy. Now you may be saying, I've heard this all before. Oh, good. Just trying to clarify and remind. But so often, we rely upon ourselves and we rely on our actions to make us holy before the Lord. When we need to remember that it is simply by faith alone in the righteousness of God, which is certainly expressed to us through the death of our Messiah Yeshua, that we are made righteous. The meaning of faith in the New Testament is deepened through its intimate relationship to Messiah as the object of faith. That's that's an important phrase. I didn't write it. Douglas Moo did. The meaning of faith in the New Testament is deepened through its intimate relationship to Messiah as the object of faith. To know about someone is to not have an intimate relationship with them. You know how important that is? <clears throat> you know, I got a text message yesterday from a Jewish kid I've been meeting or talking to and interacting with, meeting on occasion for probably at least five or six years. He texted me to say, hey, I just became a believer. <laughs> it's a child of a rabbi, you know. He knows everything. But he had not yet chosen to believe. He had no intimate relationship with God. Do you have an intimate relationship with God? Do you have an intimate relationship with the Messiah? It's a great drash Jordan brought. If you don't hear the voice of the shepherd, you ain't no sheep. (laughs) If there's no intimacy between you and God, 
If you do not have an intimate relationship with God through your personal faith in Messiah Yeshua, in other words, if you don't feel any deep intimacy, you should question whether or not you really believe. On occasion, I've done that. I did that with this kid. Did it with years ago with Justice Lesperance. Some of you know. We sat in a restaurant. I basically said, I, I can't remember exactly all the words. Bottom line is I said, you know what? Doesn't sound like you believe. Doesn't sound like you're really a believer. He sat for a moment. He paused and said, yeah, I guess that's right. I really don't believe. <laughs> and that started him on a journey toward faith. Do you believe? Do you intimately, truly believe? Do you deeply understand what Yeshua the Messiah has done for you in dying for your sins. And as the rest of the quote says, in our absolute reliance on God and his word rather than on human abilities, activities, or assurances. Are you here because it's just a thing to do? Are you here because you like showing up, the food is good, you find the rabbi entertaining on occasion? If there isn't an actual intimacy, all the activity regarding religiosity is totally pointless. And a big piece of it is absolute reliance on God. It's harder and harder to follow God. You young adults going to the winter, oh yeah. It's extremely difficult. Hopefully some of the counselors will share some of the realities of what it means to follow God. It's hard to follow God because everybody else is against him. But yet in an intimate relationship that we value, we fight for that relationship and our actions are directed toward the preservation and the deepening of that relationship. It shows the authenticity of that relationship. Trusting in Messiah changes our spiritual status in God's perspective. It changes our status from that of unrighteous to righteous. Another quote from Isaiah, and then I'll just wrap it up. Another quote from Isaiah, chapter 45. Isaiah is a great book for this because our people were so wicked. But what's funny, we know this from the temple, uh, from the diggings and stuff, we were still religious. Wicked but religious. Knowing about God, but by our sinfulness, no intimacy with him. Isaiah 45, though, verse 22, it says, uh, God said, 45, 22, wrong chapter. It says, turn to me and be saved. This is God's words to us. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, there is no other. By myself I have sworn the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and is irrevocable. That to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear. You know, it's amazing. No matter what you believe, ultimately in the end, you're going to have to recognize who God is and who Yeshua is. Because he is God. There is no other. How he said, get on the bandwagon early. They will say of me, only in Adonai is righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. In Adonai, all the seed of Israel will be justified and give praise. In Adonai. That in is the same we talked about last week in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It's in the Lord that we have relationship. It's in him that we have salvation. And that in has to do with intimacy, trust, and action. Action. If you're struggling in your relationship with God, I'll bet you it's because you're, there's not a lot of action. Faith grows as we work our faith. Faith deepens as we work that faith.
Well, just to close it up here. Are you seeking God's righteousness? That's important. Do you really desire to, to seek God's righteousness? But more than anything, do you desire that intimate, personal relationship with God? Do you desire that intimate, personal relationship with God? If you do, then you are understanding what I'm talking about, about, being, about understanding God's righteousness. Are you trying to acquire God's righteousness by faith alone or through the doing of your own deeds? How does your life reflect the transformational power of the message of Messiah Yeshua? Because that's also important. If you truly believe in the righteousness of God, if the righteousness of God is something that is absolutely part of your life, your life must show it. Your life must show it. You may say, how come it's got to show it? It's because... That means that God is actively working in your life and that relationship is changing you. I can make all kinds of jokes about different people and how relationship has changed them through the years, but I won't. But we all get it. When people are truly in relationship with one another and truly intimately care for one another or involved with one another, they change one another. The difference is, is with God, he is perfect. So the change is coming our way. All right? If you indeed, by faith, have accepted God's righteousness, your life will change. The topic of faith is a key theme in the book of Romans, as we have discussed this morning. If we desire to live spiritually successful lives, so that's the question. If you really don't care about having a spiritually successful life, then you're not in relationship with God. You don't know who God is. You're probably going to go to hell when you die. Spend your life completely separated from God forever. Period. If that doesn't bother you, then, then fine, okay. It's funny, one of the professors, she knows the New Testament probably better than anybody, almost anybody in this room, and she doesn't believe. And she actually said, you know, I desire to have that spiritual experience, but it hasn't happened. Isn't that amazing? She knows all about Jesus and the New Testament better than anybody here. And she doesn't believe. And she will spend eternity separated from God forever. Sad. If we desire to live spiritually successful lives, which is, I hope, is your desire, we must deepen our daily understanding of what it means to live lives of faith. I can guarantee that you will struggle, face rejection, and even seemingly fail, but with God's help based on faith in Him, your efforts will eventually lead to amazing success. It's not self-efficacy, faith in ourselves and our abilities that will get us to where we need to go as followers of Messiah Yeshua. It is God efficacy. Let's make sure we are keeping our minds focused on, on being the righteousness of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the fact that through our faith in Messiah Yeshua, you have made us righteous, that you have transformed us, that we have relationship with you. Help us, God, to rejoice in that and help us to build that relationship. Help us to seek deeper intimacy in our relationship with you, to be more humble before you, more honest before you, more transparent, more willing to adjust our lives to the ways that you want us to live. I thank you, God, for the fact that we do not have to work out our salvation, that we do not have to try and make ourselves righteous in our own God, but that you have made it possible. All we simply need to do is live lives of faith in you. 
Again, I thank you for the opportunity we have to follow you in this country. I pray, God, that each one of us would live for you despite all the freedoms we have to do whatever we want to do ourselves. We pray all this in Yeshua's name.